Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. I'm delighted to say we are finally, uh, not before time, now on Facebook. Thanks to email and Zoom Raker, two posters on GEI, we now have a Facebook page that they have started for me. So thank you very much to them. And a reminder also that you can subscribe to the show via email by clicking on the subscribe via email button on the left-hand side of your screen. And then every time I upload a new show, you will be notified in your inbox, and that is the only email you'll receive. In today's programme, I'm broadcasting the Q&A session from the recent Cheviot Asset Management Sound Money Conference. I apologise for the poor sound quality towards the end of the programme, but I haven't edited the show down because then the thing loses its continuity. So here is that Q&A session in its entirety. And we, we, we come now to the panel, and you're about to witness uh, something amazing here because we actually have more panellists than there are chairs for them to sit on. So that, that will be addressed as I introduce the guests. And uh, uh, the first guests to be introduced are going to be the ones who get to sit down, so they'll be the happiest. Uh, we have a, 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 a wonderful... Um, uh, team of, of, of experts who are going to uh, discuss some of the uh, issues that have arisen from this conference today. Our first panellist is author James Turk, founder and chairman of Gold Money. Here he is. And uh, next we have a man who never likes to uh, express his opinion. He is broadcaster Max Kaiser of the Kaiser Report. <laughs> There we go, here he comes. And uh, we have fund manager Ben Davies of Hind Capital. Hello, Ben. <laughs> and uh, we have Richard Cragg, a former chief strategist with Smith & Williamson. Where's Richard? There he is. Hello, Richard. And finally, uh, the heir apparent to Professor Fekete, we have Sandeep Jaitley. Yeah, here he comes. Hello, Sandeep. And um, I guess we'll, we'll uh, I'll, I'll start with, um, with a question for you, Max. Uh, why, why don't you answer you? you this, um, this financial crisis, we'll, we'll, uh, you start, Max, and then we'll spread it out to everyone else. This, okay. this, this financial crisis, many have blamed bankers, many have blamed policymakers. Um, do you think the ultimate blame lies with our system of modern, uh, our modern system of money, banking and credit? Do you think that's the, the ultimate thing that needs reforming. Would you like to take that? Before I answer that, yeah. I, I wanted to uh, point out something I've been working on. It's a little pet project that I have right now. Okay. This, of course, is the uh, £10 note with the Queen's uh, portrait on one side. This is a stamp that <laughs> says, uh, Crash J.P. Morgan buy silver. <laughs> and by simply stamping the £10 note thusly, you have transformed this fiat paper nightmarish Ponzi scheme into a nifty piece of mass media and street protest as the global insurrection against banker occupation continues to rise in places like Athens, Dublin. Max, you're going on... Oh, I'm sorry, yes. uh, It was right. You're going on on Channel 4 tonight. Uh, He's doing the Jimmy Carr show, the new 10 o'clock show on Channel 4. Are you going to send the same message out to viewers? My goal is to start a riot. It's a live audience, which to me spells mob. <laughs> I think you know, every I know once in a while, every couple time. hundred years, it takes a mob. Well, the French I, figured that out through a very succinct invention, very clever device called the guillotine. You may have heard of it. Um, James, let me ask you the same question that I asked Max. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what was the question? Yeah. The, the question was. 
is, the, is, is our system of modern money and banking to blame for this financial crisis, ultimately? Well, I wouldn't say it's necessarily modern money because these financial crises have recurred time and time again throughout history. Um, you know, even before the creation of the Bank of England, you had credit bubbles. People loaned too much money. They never was, never was repaid, and they had a crisis. You know, the question came up a couple of times, should Lehman Brothers have collapsed? And if you go back and look in history, for example, in 1857, one of the prominent firms in London at the time was called Overend and Gurney. It disappeared in the crisis. Was that a problem that disappeared? No, it wasn't. 1974, Slater Walker. It disappeared in the crisis. Was it a problem that disappeared? You know, people make bad decisions, and the consequence of the bad decision in the financial arena is they go out of business. They should be allowed to go out of business so that people who make the right decisions are rewarded. They stay in business. Absolutely. Um, does anyone uh, over here have anything to say? What about, um, what about you, Sandeep? Do you, do you think our system of money and banking is to blame, or do you think um, it's something else? No, it is, uh, plain and simple. You know, um, The public have been hoodwinked. Um, I think a lot of it, again, is to do with sort of you know, lending out stuff which shouldn't be lent out, you know, and the people not knowing about it. And obviously that has consequences crises being one of them. Um, so, no, it, it well and truly is. Let me, let me uh, let's uh, see what the audience think. Would, would it, well, we'll start with the six of us on stage. By, by way of raising your hands, I've, who, who would like to see a return to using gold and silver as money once again? I presume all six of you uh, are in favour of that. Um, what about in the, in the audience? Uh, that's most of you. And, and are there people who wouldn't like to see that? One. <laughs> oh, there's two, a couple at the back. Um, this, this is a quote that I was sent from Einstein. Uh, I wasn't sent it by Einstein. The quote is from Einstein, uh, uh, and I'm going to read it out to you now. The gold standard has, in my opinion, the serious disadvantage that a shortage in the supply of gold automatically leads to a contraction of credit and also of the amount of currency in circulation to which contraction prices and wages cannot adjust themselves sufficiently quickly. Now, I, haven't, I know I haven't spoken to... Or, um, does any of, did anyone want to uh, address that issue there? Uh, that, OK, Ben, why don't you go? Pass. Oh, pass, OK. <laughs> no. Um, I, th I think it's, it's prudent to understand with a gold standard what particular gold standard you're looking at, whether it be a gold exchange standard, a classical gold standard, whether it be a gold standard with free banking. And I think that changes the tenets of you know, whether there's enough gold. Obviously, when you have gold as money under a classical gold system, unfortunately, you have accidental supply, which could come from mining, for instance. Now, yeah, in 1880, at the end of the Civil War, the US Civil War, you went through a process where you came back on a classical gold standard, but actually, uh, because of technology, ultimately because of um, sardinization, they actually found more gold, and obviously you, you inflate the system. So if you're inflating the system at that point, what's happening is that you've created more currency in the system and prices rise. So to say, is there a shortage, it actually really depends on what price determinant you use. What is the level at which you put the price relative to that weight of gold? So for example, in uh, the UK went back onto a gold standard, um, a gold exchange standard in 1922, they went back at the wrong price because they had created too many dollars throughout the, um, the First World War. So because they went on at too high a price, it was actually very de deflationary. So that's an example where they should have had it at a lower price. So I don't think it's about the shortage of gold. It's actually about the original price determinant. I'll open that to the, okay. the floor. M Max, you put your hand up. You're nodding away. Do you want to say something? First of all, Einstein also, he didn't drive a car because he said it was too complicated. <laughs> so I'm not sure if we should take his view on this. But, um, you know, Einstein, interesting because um, in, in the area of uh, quantum mechanics and particle physics, uh, this idea of you don't really know if it's a particle or a wave or it's in the same place at the same time, and quantum mechanics, as this is known, is a byproduct of Einstein's thoughts. Today we see that in finance in the structured finance business. You have the same mortgage, and yet it appears in 20 different structured products. How can that same mortgage be in 20 different places at the same time? You see, it's Einsteinian in its uh, theory of relativity. You see, it's the same piece of paper. 
but you can't tell where it is at any given moment. Oh, wait a minute, here's some hedging product I took, but wait, it's not here anymore. No, it's over here now. Uh, you know what, I can't figure it out, I need a bailout. Um, so, uh, in other words, what he's not putting into his equation is fraud. The problem is fraud and um, underlying this crisis. And um, until there's something done about that, uh, we're going to have a continuation of these debates when it brings me back to my original point, which is the guillotine. <laughs> Does that mean you're an advocate of a gold standard or a silver standard with free banking, i.e. no central bank controlling the money monopoly well, it, or the issuance of notes? It, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. I think it can be in, in, in inputted into the system, and it can work, but it's it still, if you have a folks in charge of the administration of it who are easily corruptible, it's, it, it's, it's a problem. So no. David, uh, I haven't uh, brought you into the conversation yet. Do you, do you have anything to add here? Always. <laughs> a couple thoughts. One on the previous question, not this one, was uh, there is a direct correlation between the moral debasement of a society and a currency debasement. You can check. You can do the study. But basically, the Roman Empire started out as a republic and very similar to the foundational principles of the United States of a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, you had an honest system based on principle and an honest standard based on principle or an honest weight and measure. And so there is a direct correlation between the moral decay and the moral decline and the debasement of a currency. That's point number one I wanted to make. And on this other one, I would break it down to the simplest denominator possible and I would look at it on a gold coin standard only, which is the most basic one. And everything that both gentlemen have said, and of course I always get a kick out of Max, he is very bright and very quick. Um, <clears throat> Einstein knew a great deal, but he didn't know much about gold. And, and I know that's very arrogant to say, but on a gold coin standard over the last 30 years, we increased the money supply. Now, I'm making a presupposition here, gold, and we're all trading gold coins in tr commerce. This is a thought experiment. This is not reality. You would have an increase in the money supply of 1.5% to 2% a year. And all of the eco-bugs out there, and I'm sure there's some in EK, you would have what is always the buzzword, at least in the United States, of sustainable development. In other words, you would develop your growth rate relative to the money supply increase, which is gold, and it's growing at a rate of about 2%. You do not get everything that you said in your lecture about the misallocation of capital based upon an inflationary illusion that, my, that Max refers to as the Einsteinian hypothesis relative to relativity on the third derivative of a mortgage CDO. It just does, isn't going to happen. Is it a perfect system? No. Do you get misallocation of capital? Yes but it is by far the best system that's ever existed. Because why? It's free, it's true, it's honest, and it's fair to the lowest, to the highest throughout the whole society. And it's independent. Very good, uh, David. Richard, uh, you haven't spoken yet. Let, let, let's bring you in. Uh, um, do you have any comments on, on the conversation so far? Well, I think one thing that uh, did strike me uh, was that, um, particularly in the States, uh, part of the problem on this credit binge is because uh, interest is tax deductible. What if, and I'm, I'd like to throw this open to the panel, um, what, what if they took tax deductibility away? Would that make an, a more honest system? I think it would. James, resident tax expert. I would agree with you, Dominic. And, uh, it would seem, that would seem to be the logical conclusion. Um, Max, yeah. is the gold in Fort Knox? Uh, is there gold in Fort Knox? Well, I put an order in uh, last week. And, well, um, I, I love this uh, question, actually. It's an interesting question. I'm, I'm curious what other views are. Because... Uh, as, as the currency war heats up and people's um, gold position 
whether it's Germany or, or China now with their increased gold position. It's interesting because uh, there's a scramble now to find out who has the gold. I, you know, and, and the Tunisian uh, fellow s s left town with his gold. Uh, apparently, the Egyptian guy, he's leaving town with his gold. Uh, so everyone's trying to count their gold now. You know, it's a big issue. Wow, how much gold do we actually have? And um, my, my, uh, a guy who I follow, Jim Rickards, made the interesting observation that because 66% of Germany's gold is held in New York and not in Germany, that when the currency war really heats up, uh, the U.S. can commandeer that gold, uh, add it to their supposed stock of 8,000 tons, and they would become, he calls it the Saudi Arabia of gold. You know, we have this huge gold position. Um, so I like the idea that um, ultimately in the currency war, it'll come down to who has the most gold and who's got a solid gold position as these derivatives continue to evaporate into smoke. Now, what do we know? We know that there hasn't been a sufficient audit of, the, uh, of Fort Knox gold uh, in quite some time, so we don't have the actual numbers um, based on all the schemes and scheming and, and central bank activities. Uh, have they leased it out? Have they sold it out? Um, I can, if, if they are as loose with their gold as Germany has been, um, then th th there would be a, a real issue there, as been covered earlier. James, you look at leasing, James. Do you think there's a chance that in the event of a run there'll be several claims on the same gold? Yeah, without any doubt. Uh, though I call it lending rather than leasing oh, because it is money. Uh, and I consider leasing to be more a politically correct term in terms of what actually happens when you put gold out in the market or silver out in the market. It is lending because it is money. Um, yeah, you know, we've heard the estimates of 100 times physical to paper, um, but which actually staggered me because I knew it was high, but I never really thought it was quite that high. But, you know, it could be even higher. We just don't know. But I always thought it was like maybe 20 or 30 times more paper than physical. But even if it's just 10 times more paper than physical, uh, you know, I compare it to, you know, coming up here when there weren't enough chairs. Uh, yeah. You know, if you're holding paper instead of uh, the real thing, you know, what's going to happen when people no longer want to accept that counterparty risk? And I think we are getting to that stage. In fact, I think we're already seeing it. Uh, you know, we see some backwardation in interest rates. More to the point, um, you have sprat physical gold, sprat physical uh, metal, where you know the gold is and silver are there, trading at a premium to some of the ETFs. So you have to ask yourself, why is somebody willing to pay 5 or 6% over the spot price and, uh, pay and buy the spot fund instead of one of the ETFs? Because the answer is that you know that the physical metal is really there. It's a form of backwardation. And as could, the, it, could it not just be that they've got the trade wrong? That it's what? They've made a mistake? They're paying too much? No, the market doesn't really make mistakes, and you see the premium go up and down. I mean, they're closed-end funds. Why are they trading at a premium in the first place? Because closed-end funds normally trade at a discount. You know, it's a confidence factor that people know that the, they have to buy in terms of an equity, and they know that the actual metal is there. Um, and, you know, as the sovereign de debt crisis continues to roil the financial markets, you know, as we see more banking crises, this whole issue of financial crises is a level of confidence. Do you believe the counterparty is going to make good on its promise? And if there's one thing that's certain, governments around the world have made a lot more promises than they're prepared or even financially capable to fulfill. And a lot of promises are going to continue to be broken as we work our way through this bust. So that ultimately comes back to you want physical or do you want paper? And, you know, I'm an advocate of physical because it's the ultimate safe haven. I was just about to ask you a question, but you, you, you talk. One of the audience asked about what they thought, um, I think they asked uh, David, what propelled the silver market. And something that hasn't really been addressed here today is that there was a CFTC hearing. In fact, there were numerous CFTC hearings. And I know a lot of people are pretty well versed in this room. That, to my mind, was one of the, one of the major factors uh, in the rise in the silver price. And you know, as a firm, we wrote about it. James talked about it at length, and uh, Max did as well. Well, interestingly, on January the 13th, we had uh, the resumption of a CFTC hearing where, unfortunately, no position limits were put in place. There was a call for 1,500. It's been ignored. The manipulation investigation into J.P. Morgan and uh, HSBC, and I go on record and say it because it's out in the open, it's just gone by the by. You know, it's, it's morally unacceptable. And the market went for sale in the COMEX market. Now, in my 10 years trading this particular bull market, I think it's been going 10 years, I have never seen supply constraints like this in silver, ever. 
and James is older than me and he can talk about the 70s and maybe that's the last time that's occurred. It's been a real dilemma for me as a fund manager. Perversely, I get kicked out of the market in terms of I have to hedge my physical positions, which we have. We have allocated physical gold and silver in our fund and I have to hedge my positions because of this selling in the COMEX market. So I'm forced out, so I'm helping perpetuate the actual crime. And it is a crime. And so for me, for the first time ever, I actually became quite fearful about silver uh, in the medium term because really they can sell with impunity for the next six months, maybe a year. I don't know how long they can continue it, but if they can force it down enough that it, it takes away the desire perversely to, to want to have physical, to, to, to take physical silver, obviously lower prices will attract physical buyers, but it might scare people enough that they stay away from the market. That's, that's the dynamic that I find alarming. Max, Max you, you <laughs> have something to say about silver? Well, this is, uh, this is what I call the clue stick. Uh, <laughs> people who don't seem to get their role as market makers or fiduciaries, we use the clue stick and we beat them with the clue stick. In other words, uh, there's only, we can only tolerate so much criminality in the system. At some point, you can't tolerate it anymore. You can't, you know, this is, we've, I, I started this uh, crash J.P. Morgan buy silver campaign, and you've got people all over the world making videos on YouTube all over the world who are participating, and they like the idea that if they take a, a dollar out in physical, they're crashing $100 worth of balance sheet damage on these banks' balance sheet. If they get, they get to, it's a twofer. One, they get to, to transfer wealth that was stolen from them back to them from where it came. And they get to commit an act of financial violence against J.P. Morgan, and who wouldn't like that? <laughs> right? Very good. David, do you have anything to say? No, I'm probably at a loss for words on this one, really. <laughs> I'll have a question and I'll, I'll ask you each to answer it and then I'm going to throw the, uh, the discussion out to you people. Uh, the question I have is um, this bull market is mature, it's been going on for 10 years like Ben said. Uh, what, what will be your signal, for example, Ben, when will you uh, close down your fund and, and move into another sector? What, when will the, the bull market reach its maturity? And, and why don't we start on this side of the room? Um, wh wh why don't we start with you, Sandeep, on that I one? Um, my, my, uh, well, first of all, I, I would never, I don't have a price target for gold and silver, as long as currency is irredeemable. I don't necessarily mean a price target, but what mm. will the signs be? That the sign will be when you can buy a nice house on, um, let's say, a nice Knightsbridge Square for two, two and a half thousand ounces of silver. And at the moment, it's still very, very far away from that at the moment. So it's, it's sort of normalizing what silver could buy you in the past. Now, when you introduce credit into the system like this, it distorts ratios, barter ratios like that. Uh, but they will revert at some point, just like the gold-silver ratio. So when, when I can buy a nice sort of five-bedroom house, let's say on Onslow Square, you know, uh, for, for two and a half, three thousand ounces of silver, then I will consider swapping my silver into something else. And we're not there yet. We, we certainly aren't. I'm the same. I look at... Uh, UK house prices to gold and UK house prices to silver. I think there's a hell of a lot you can learn from that ratio. Richard, what about you? What, what, are you, what were your, you're a strategist or you were, what, what, um, what were the signs be for you? Well, uh, there's, there, there are short-term considerations and long-term considerations. Uh, in the short term, um, the, uh, uh, some of the technical indicators have been looking as if they're coming down to um, levels which we hope would be support levels, but if they break, uh, we could see um, significant downside, possibly, well, when I say significant, say $100 off gold or something like that, that would be my feeling. That doesn't invalidate the, uh, the longer-term uh, situation, because while uh, we've still got... Um, governments debauching their currencies, the, the show will go on. Uh, until we see a uh, sign that um, quantitative easing is, uh, is finishing, I mean, that, that would be, if you like, a short-term consideration, I think, in terms of uh, uh, market top. But um, while um, 
the money supply is in the hands of the politicians, uh, I think the show will go on. David, signs of the end of the bull market? I know you kind of covered it a bit in your presentation, but... I wouldn't get out of the precious metals until I saw soundness in the financial system on either a nation-state basis or a global basis. Uh, I just see no need. I made a mistake in 1980 when gold peaked January 21st, 1980, and saw interest rates go under Paul Volcker at 17.5% on, uh, on the T bill that I was overeducated. And I saw that as a function not only of, of return, which is an interest rate return, but also a function of risk. That was loan shark money or mafia money you get from the guy on the street corner. And it was imminent in my thinking that we had a currency collapse at hand. And I couldn't have been more wrong. The best move you could have made was get out of gold and get into the bond over the next 30 years, as John pointed out. But now we have a situation that is just the opposite. We have a situation that I, I knew of intellectually in 1980 that we're living in 2011 and beyond, and no government can make good on that promise anymore. So until you either default on the bond or restructure the system, I'm not willing to give up what I know holds value. Ben, how about you? Um, I'm going to paraphrase a bit James Turk here, but I think two constructs that uh, are used uh, incorrectly and uh, in an interchangeable way is value and price. Price is the level which you make in an exchange, and value is whether it's worth it. And quite clearly, relative to the proliferation of currency that we've seen, not only in the dollar, but in every currency in the world, um, perhaps bar uh, the euro, which uh, as the charts we saw today has retained some kind of purchasing power. Um, but clearly, if you look at the yen, you know, yen's a really uh, interesting example of you have a, a, a currency that seems relatively strong compared to other currencies, and, uh, and yet actually have the worst debt dynamic in the world. And, but people believe because they've got a domestic savers, they're going to be fine. Well, those domestic savers are aging, and they're going to have to take down an annuity at some point, and they won't be able to fund you know, Japanese debt. So I look around the world and I just see debt that is you know, at a tipping point. So when I look at debt and debt is money and look at that relative to the price of gold, well, the ratio of gold to, to U.S. monetary basis is around 15%. The long-term average was 40%. That would put fair value price around $4,000. Now, James uses a target of 8000 which... Um, I'm going to be very careful saying this to the wise old man, but in some ways that's a bit disingenuous because he's talking about an absolute price. It was a very high price, $800. You know, I once spoke to a broker who went to the toilet, came back, and he missed the high, and it was it's $600. So it gone from $600 to $800 back in, excuse me, in the space of about 10 minutes. I personally didn't experience it. But $4,000 seems appropriate, and in terms of uh, interest rates and the level that you would exchange at, David's absolutely right. So, think about Greece at 10-year, uh, we were at 13%, and you had the U.S. back in those days. Front-end rates were at 20%. Long bond rates, curve was flatter, 17.5%. Today, I think, God, do I really want to buy bonds at 17.5%? That's a default mechanism. Will I actually want to buy them? So... For me, I think that there will become uh, a policy situation where currency reform will be forced upon us. We will have that option, and I think so it will be taken out of my hand. That's what I personally think will happen. Um, Max, I'm going to ask you to answer this last, if that's all right. I know, J James, you're fond of saying uh, you're going to spend it. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, everybody, when they, they, they ask it, they're looking back to January 1980, beautiful hindsight, you know, when do you sell it? And my answer is, it's this time around, you're not going to sell it, you're going to spend it. Gold's going to reassert itself as currency. When it does, then you'll know it's at its maximum value. You want to spend it and make investments or purchase consumer goods. And that's probably three to five years in the road, uh, down the road. Whether it's 8,000 or 4,000 or 20,000, you can't forecast it because you don't know what the central bank's going to do in terms of how badly it's going to debase the dollar. But just one last quick point. Uh, Hugo Salinas uh, this, uh, this morning made a beautiful point. He held up two coins, the gold sovereign and the British pound. This British pound today takes 240 to buy what one bought back in 1914. 
you're in a 100-year bear market of currencies, which means a 100-year bull market for precious metals. And I think this bull market has a, a long way to go. Always bet against government, as Dominic said in his presentation. Um, yeah, I, the, I, there's three useful, very simple targets. One is Dow to gold, one-to-one -one ratio. Another is when the, the declared gold in Fort Knox, you could use that to pay off U.S. dollar debt. And if you reach that ratio, you would have... And the, the amount of gold in Fort Knox exceeded U.S. debt in 1980. If it were to do the same now, you'd have a price of something like eighteen or $19,000 an ounce. And uh, the other one I look at is house prices to gold. When, when, the UK house, when you can buy a, an average U.K. house for 100 ounces of gold, that's kind of... That's a bit of a buy. Max, what about your signals of the end of the bull market? Do you, do you have any? Well, right now, what percentage of investable assets around the world are in precious metals? The number is less than six-tenths of one percent, I believe, okay, versus, um, you know, stocks and other types of uh, investments. We're talking numbers greater than 50 percent. So that number clearly has to uh, go a lot higher. So the, the gold and silver are remarkably under-owned under at, at this point. And um, although there's been a lot of news about it of late, people just don't really own it. They don't own physical uh, precious metals. So it's got a tremendous amount of room yet to go in terms of just uh, the percentage of investable assets owned. So, um, do, sorry, do, yeah. do you know what level that reached in 1980, James? Maybe James or David know the answer to that. What, what percentage of, 26% it was in 1980? But, but because the gold price was so high, that was... Yeah, a, think about this. In 1930, it was a not dissimilar level, and actually it was part of the monetary system. If you go from, let's say, there's debates over whether it's 0 0.61, whatever, you, know, I, you can work it out roughly, but it, let's say it's in that bracket. If you move from 1% to 2%, you have to find 60,000 tonnes of gold at current prices. Now, at 2,500 tonnes a year, what's that, 28 20 years, 28 years, that's a lot of mice fighting. So I don't think that transfer is going to take place at this price. It's going to have to happen at a higher price. Absolutely. Now, Max, sorry to have no, interrupted you. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the overall size of these markets is, is teeny. You know, silver is less than 30. Uh, was it, it's, a, it's less than a billion ounces above ground. It's 20, 28 billion, you know, is the stretch for how much this market is worth. So, you know, Mark Zuckerberg carries around that, uh, you know, the founder of Facebook, he's got that amount of money in his sock. You know, he, he could buy out the entire silver market. The entire capitalization of all the mining stocks is less than a Walmart, right? So yes. we're talking about a teeny, teeny sector. It's under-owned. The valuations are teeny, you know. And I started on Wall Street in 1982. There were guys in the office who had suffered through a bear market uh, for 15, 16 years. They were working nights as cab drivers. They, you couldn't make it as a stockbroker in 82. You couldn't make a living. And uh, this was when the Dow was under 900 and hadn't broken 1,000 for 10 years. And it was the fabled 1,000 level. And every time it broke through another century, it was always that, that, that wall of worry. People saying, it can't go higher, it can't go higher. Of course, it went to 14,000. Silver, gold, same type of thing. Every time it breaks another century mark, that same wall of worry, that same, no, it can't possibly go higher. But it's, the dynamic is it's, it's uh, moving out of paper into stuff. It happens over and over again. As confidence in paper crashes, confidence in paper rises. And the ultimate stuff is that gold stuff and that silver stuff. That's the stuff's main stuff. That's the primary <laughs> the stuff. stuff of stuff. It's the stuff of all stuff. <laughs> Very good. Folks, uh, <laughs> Which means that stuff can't be confiscated because no one owns it. Someone asked about confiscation. No one owns it. So I can't see that being a likelihood uh, in the U.S. or in the U.K., the UK, uh, no def in, in deference to Hugo Solanis, people don't get silver in this country. So even if he produced a coin and said, hey, go and buy something with it, what's this? I'll have that, you know, a pound, co pound coin. Sorry. Uh, no problem, no problem. Folks, uh, I've taken too long to, to bring the question out to you. Would anyone like, you were quickest off the mark, sir. What would you like to ask? First, just to comment on Max's point earlier regarding Germany, and I don't think anybody would dispute uh, he who holds gold against the rules. Um, but isn't the German gold actually held in the basement of the Federal Reserve, the German Federal Reserve, which is a privately held corporation, and it's not part of the Treasury? That's the first 
who would like to take that up? Why, why don't somebody on this side to take that one up? You go, David. Go on. Well, I don't know about the, you know, the Federal Reserve is a private corporation and it's not prior to the Treasury. Whether how much, you know, gold from the Boone's Bank is in there or not, I don't know. Uh, I think Lars is going to do an expose on that soon and I've been asked to keep my mouth shut and I will. On the second question, what was it? I'm sorry. Golden oil. Since oh, golden oil. I think James already went through that. I mean, how do you, you know, how do you want to look at it? <clears throat> in in gold terms, oil hasn't changed. In energy terms, as important as I believe the precious metals are, there is nothing more important than energy. The whole planet runs on energy. And we have had cheap energy for so long that the worst welfare recipient in the United States lives better than a 15th century king ever dreamed of living because of that cheap energy. And as I said during my lecture very briefly, that energy flux density is the key. If everyone in this room could have free energy as much as they wanted, think of what kind of experiments you could run or what you could do with that. And we're running out of power per capita, the amount of kilowatts per person. And that, I think, is as big a problem, if not bigger, than some of these other issues. Money's certainly a big problem. But energy is as well, and I don't know where you want me to go with that. I don't want to take too much time. I think from memory, the oil uh, and gold has traded in a range since 1971 where it's about um, five barrels of oil uh, to an ounce of gold being the low, and it's about, I think it's about 15 being the highs. That's about the range, and I think we're at the top end of the range now, so oil is actually cheap compared to gold at the moment. So you're at the average now. Yeah, it's the average. You, it is around 25, even as high as 35, I think, was the absolute high. So the long-term average is around 15 and a half, I believe. Okay. So I, I wrote an article on this about two weeks ago, or about a month ago, and that's why it's from memory, but I remember thinking it was cheap-ish. Not very cheap, but cheap-ish, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, sir, over there with a, a blue uh, coat on and a, and a blue shirt and glasses. I'm just... Well, Bernadette's coming. Who would you like to direct that question to? Anyone in particular? Anyone. Anyone? Anyone want to pick it up? Richard, how about you? You haven't been asked to speak for a while. Uh, no. I think, yeah. <coughs> could, <coughs> could, could I have uh, that re re repeated again, please? Because I just need How, how easily a government's going to get out of jail here? Uh, have a think about it, and I'll put it on to Sandy. Do, can you, do you... Yeah. Uh, and then they, no, they can't get very easily out of jail, is, is, the very, is the very quick answer to that. Um, my personal feeling is that uh, France, Italy, and whatnot, all of these countries with supposed large gold reserves, if they want a market for their debt in future, they're not going to have large gold reserves. The two states can't sort of exist at the same time. Um, now, whether that's a resolution or a failure depends upon your point of view. Uh, but no, they're up a creek I, without a paddle. I, I say this as someone who is half Italian, and if you are suspicious about whether the gold exists in your country's vault, in this case, I guarantee you, the Italian gold will not be there. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one country that will have stolen its own gold, it's Italy. Um, <laughs> And I can say that because I'm half Italian. R Richard, ca how easily can governments get out of jail? Well, I think I agree with uh, Sandeep. It's, uh, it's going to be extremely difficult. Um, we've seen that there's uh, a pain threshold in Portugal, about 7% on their borrowing rates. And um, 
You know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier when uh, Volcker brought interest rates up to 17.5% in the States. You start thinking, do I really want to own these bonds? Because, um, you know, they're at unsustainable levels. Now, last time round, um, you did have uh, inflation to some extent bailing you out. Uh, Volcker crushed the inflation, but you were getting the, um, the falling inflation. Although it was, inflation was falling, it was at sufficiently high level to uh, uh, debase the uh, debt-GDP uh, calculations. This time round, we're in a situation where the whole of the West is deflating. They're all squeezing, and they're all trying to um, repay uh, out of... Um, non-inflationary currencies. Um, so uh, it, I think it is, uh, it, it is going to be uh, a serious problem. Um, if you had a situation where um, you know, pe people draw attention to some of the success stories that we've had in the past, like Canada, uh, that got out of its financial difficulties. It got out of its difficulties at a time when the rest of the world was pretty buoyant. This time round, you've got huge surplus capacity globally, and um, it's, uh, there's, there's a downward pressure on, um, uh, on, on prices in the short term because you've got uh, surplus of capacity, surplus of labor, and government squeezing. So... Uh, you're going to get, there's a risk you can get into a Japanese situation um, where uh, you've got the demographics going against you and you're having a smaller workforce trying to repay debt out of, um, def well, out, uh, out of a deflating GDP. It's just not going to happen. Uh, lady there. Is there a wrong time to buy physical gold and silver? James, why don't you answer that, because I know what your answer will be. Um, well, it really comes down to personal preference and why you're purchasing physical metal. Um, but, you know, the, I guess the true or the bigger picture uh, to this is that do you want to purchase an asset that's overvalued or do you want to purchase an asset that's undervalued? You know, clearly you want to accumulate undervalued assets, hold them until they become fully valued, and then when they become fully valued, use those in exchange for undervalued assets, and that's how you can create wealth. Um, and gold is no different, silver is no different than any other uh, asset in, in that kind of an environment. So the question is, is why do you want physical gold? Why do you want physical silver? Uh, do you want it as an ultimate safe haven, bedrock asset in your portfolio with no counterparty risk uh, to protect wealth? If that's the objective, and I think that's really the reason for accumulating the metals, you then have to ask yourself, is, are the metals now undervalued or are they overvalued? And even though we've been in a 100-year bull market, or more recently a 10-year bull market for the precious metals, they're still relatively undervalued, and therefore, in my mind, it makes sense to continue accumulating them. At some point in time in the future, it may not make sense, uh, but for now, it continues to make sense. Yeah, I mean... Max, what about you? Would you like to answer that? Is there a wrong time to buy gold well, and silver? I mean, I got, there's that old um, trick of dollar cost averaging. You, know, you, you set yourself up a program. You're going to buy a certain amount every month or every two months. And uh, when it's high, you end up buying less. And when it's cheap, you end up buying more. Now, over time, you end up with a good average price. The question is not what's the best price. The question is, um, first of all, am I ready to make the commitment to get out of the fiat currency nightmare? Uh, and, the sec and then, okay, what's, and that's the first choice. Once you've made that choice, you want to scale into it in a way that's going to be the least intrusive into your day-to-day -day life. Obviously, pulling the trigger and going 100% in anything at any one time is, is a recipe for, for anxiety, and that, that's never a good idea. But to scale into something over time to, with the notion, it's, this, is a, this is an act of, financial and fiscal sanity, but more and more, this is becoming an act of, of a political, political defiance. 
gold and silver are becoming, we've had the orange revolution, the cedar revolution, the jasmine revolution, it's time for the silver revolution. It's the global insurrection against these banking punks. There you go. <laughs> the bull markets are very forgiving. If you, if you buy at the wrong price within a year or something, it becomes the right price, if that makes sense. We've got time, ladies and gents, for one last question, and I'll take it from you. How are you doing? What, what, what's your question? Uh, yeah, and, oh, yeah, hi, Marcus. How are you doing? I can't, I can't, sorry, the light's here. I can't actually see. How are you doing, Marcus? You're right. Yeah, Marcus, you gold, silver, money, gold, gold. The next premise of the conference is. Um, what, do you want to take that one, Ben? You haven't spoken for a bit. Have a go. Um, first, I'd say so what you're saying is a free market. You know, I'm an exponent of um, a gold standard with free banking. Um, so it's very much along those lines. But we don't have that now because it's not transactional. We can't transact in gold or silver other than through a barter system amongst ourselves, and there isn't really enough people. There definitely has to be an education process. I'm going to have to, this is, links in a bit with the question from earlier from the gentleman over there who said, when spreads get back to a fair value, there is a case to be made that government, maybe the US government, would like to see the gold price revalued because then they could offset their incumbents, you know, their social security, um, their Medicare. All of these are actually accruals. They're not actually label as debt, they're off balance sheet, and that'd be one way to offset it, and if, you know, if you, to be really obtuse, and I've said this before, you know, $36,000 is not a ridiculous number to offset it, but for me, in order for the gold standard to work, I think it has to be free banking, but also, as much as Max says, oh, the US will have all the gold, and who, who owns the gold rules to roost, you know what, in, for a gold standard to work, it has to be universal around the world. So the debate has to go worldwide. It's not going to, because we have to trade. You can't have somebody on a fiat currency system in China and the U.S. on a, become isolated. I'll take this with the silver slant. <clears throat> I do believe that at th through history, it is a bottom-up. The people start to trade on their own, sometimes called free market, more notoriously the black market. And you've already seen it in silver. First of all, silver is the money of the world. Very few people know that, but the Nobel Prize laureate Milton Friedman at the James Blanchard Conference in the early 90s said that silver is the monetary metal of the world, not gold. And he's right. Silver has been money for more often, more places, and more used throughout the world than gold ever has. I'm not saying gold is not money. It is. What I am saying is in a day-to-day -day transaction, silver is more utilized than gold, and that's been the case historically, but most people have very short memories. As far as being reinstituted on an individual basis, yes. I mean, you've seen this uh, Norfed, or I forget the other name, that uh, Bernard von Nothaus brought forth, where you could uh, use a silver-based currency. You've seen a few of those. You've got gold money, which is, I think, the way the banking system's gonna go. I agree with James that, you know, we're gonna end up spending our gold and silver into the system at some point, or at least we could. We can do it on an individual basis. Will governments catch on? Eventually they'll have to come up with something, whether or not they're gonna to go to a partial gold cover or full gold coin standard, I doubt it. I think there'll be gold in the system somehow, how exactly, but you will see. I mean, I can do my newsletter for gold or for silver. That's me. It's not pervasive throughout society, but as you are pointing out, sort of as a thought experiment and in a practical manner, what's holding us back? And the answer is education. And what did I do about it? Everything. Everything I could. Everywhere I was asked to speak, I spoke. Everywhere I was asked to go, I went. 
everything I thought of I wrote. I've done my best, my physical, humanly best, to get the most important message out. And we really haven't addressed it much here. But if you have all the gold in the world and you've lost your freedom, you have lost everything. And I didn't want my daughters going to a government school in a government truck doing a government job when the government runs everything and look at me in the eye and say, Dad, if you knew so damn much, why didn't you do something? I wanted to be able to look at her and say, I did everything I possibly could to maintain your freedom. And gold is integral, as you said in your lecture, to maintaining our freedom. So let's not forget that. Well, thank you very much, David. I think that's a, a good note on which to end. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd first like to thank um, all our panellists, Max Kaiser, Ben Davies, James Turk, Richard Crabb, uh, Sandy Jitley and David Morgan. And, uh, I'd like to thank Jeremy Jacobs, who's compared the day absolutely beautifully. Thank you very much, Jeremy. And uh, I'd like to thank Ned Naylor Leyland and Cheviot Asset Management for organising the whole thing. Thank you very much, Ned. And finally, I'd like to thank you all for coming. Thank you very much. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes.